So, are we ready to get started with the Word? Brilliant. Well, today what we're going to do is continue on our, our series looking at encounters with Jesus. And the particular story that we're going to think about today is one that many, if not all of you, will have read before, maybe many times in the Bible. And you'll have certainly heard one or two sermons about it uh, over your, your time coming out to church. But that's good because the message of this story is timeless and therefore it's always relevant. And today is not necessarily about trying to bring out some hidden truth that we've never been able to notice before in the story. Today is about once again being inspired by the fantastic message contained within this story. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 1. John chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 1. When you get there, you'll see that it's a story about Jesus uh, and the lady at the well. In this church, we believe the Bible is the authoritative and the inspired word of God. And we want to read most of this story together, starting at verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and disciples more, or baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. He came to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near a plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being, or being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It's lovely the way Scripture portrays the absolute humanity of Jesus. As Christians, we believe he is fully human and fully divine, and, and he is tired after his journey, and he sits down at the well. It was about the sixth hour, 12 o'clock noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? And it's clear when we go through this story that Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level and the woman is not quite understanding that and interpreting things in a natural way. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said I have no husband for you, I've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I, I perceive you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said, Your woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for. Salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will teach us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. Amen. And we know God will add his blessing that reading from his precious word. And we'll make reference to the rest of the story as we go through, which is when the disciples came back to, to, to see this fascinating encounter taking place. And also then when this transformed lady goes back to her home city and sees transformation of people's lives as a result. What a, a fabulous story. It really is fabulous. Jesus sat down at Jacob's well and the scene was set. The scene was set for a dramatic and a shocking encounter. A shocking encounter because of the setting, because of the culture of that day, and because of the different characters that were involved. And, and here are three reasons why it was shocking. First of all, this was a, a shocking encounter because it involved a woman. In the culture of Christ's day, for a man to speak to a woman in public would have been a breach of spiritual etiquette. But what happened here was an even bigger no-no because rabbis would certainly have never, ever spoken to a woman in public. And it gives us a little bit of insight into how women were, were valued and, and placed in that society. Even today, there is, is a famous prayer that is in the Jewish prayer book. It's still recited at morning prayers, and it says this, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. In fact, Jewish rabbis did not even speak to women from their own families in public. So that little bit of insight helps us see just how shocking this encounter actually was. Secondly, it was shocking because it involved a Samaritan woman. There had been lots of bitterness between Jews and Samaritans for many centuries before Jesus walked on earth. Basically, very briefly, this is where the Samaritans actually came from. We all know that the nation of Israel, it was made up of 12 tribes, and, but eventually the nation was split into two. And the northern kingdom of Israel had 10 of the 12 tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah was made up of the remaining two. And in the north, Samaria was the capital of that kingdom. And when Assyria came and took took Israel into exile or captivity around 722 BC. Most of the Jews were taken, but some were allowed to stay. However, what happened then was the Assyrians started to send people from different cultures and, and, and nations into Samaria, and then the Jews who were there started to intermarry, something completely taboo for Jewish people. And as a result, when the faithful Jews came back from exile, they despised the Samaritans for what they 
had actually done. They considered them social lepers, half-breeds. And from then on, Jews took absolutely nothing to do with Samaritans. So this was shocking because Christ spoke to a Samaritan woman. And thirdly, it was shocking because it involved a Samaritan woman with loose morals. The inference of her solo appearance at the well is striking. History shows us that that women would traditionally have gone to draw water from the well whilst men worked in the fields. And traditionally, they would have done this either in the early morning or early evening to avoid the hot noonday sun. It was also considered a a social event to go to the the well where women could meet, chat, and, and catch up with each other. So the fact this lady was there at 12 noon indicates she went there at a time she knew no one else would be about. And the fact she went on her own indicates that she had been ostracized from her community, probably because of her reputation and immorality. Also, history gives us information to suggest that there would have been wells closer to where this lady lived than Jacob's well which also indicates to us that this lady was prepared to forsake convenience, to stay away possibly from confrontation and scorn. The Samaritan religion was different to the Jewish one in that they only used the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. But let me tell you, there are plenty of references in those books about marriage, divorce, adultery and covetousness. This lady was clearly a social outcast. Clearly a social outcast. So strike one was that Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman. A woman. Strike two was that he spoke to a Samaritan woman. And strike three was that he spoke to a Samaritan woman with loose morals. Hence, hence we can almost visualize the disciples when they, they came back to, to see this shocking encounter. It might well have been three strikes, but Jesus was certainly not out because what he was doing here was using this situation to make great statements about who he was, his power, his mission, and it's what we want to be inspired by afresh today so that we can go out and do exactly the same. Do you know the whole point of John's gospel is found in chapter 20, verse 31, where John writes this, these things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So that's the whole point of this gospel. So whilst there are lots of things that we can draw out of this story together about God's sovereignty, about the natural way Jesus evangelized this woman by using the setting to bring up spiritual conversation, by not getting involved in theological arguments with her, I actually want to draw our attention today to to the main focus of this story and the focus of the gospel of John, which is to reveal Jesus as the Christ and his wonderful, powerful truth about his mission and how he brought transformation into this lady's life. Firstly, Jesus is not just the friend of sinners. Jesus Christ is the friend of all sinners. He is the friend of all sinners and his gospel, his good news is for all people. And we see that throughout all of these different gospel accounts. For instance, in chapter 3 of John, we read of an encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. 
a religious leader, a professional, an educated man, someone who had great social stature. Chapter 4, we read this story about an encounter with a woman at the opposite end of the spectrum, socially, religiously, and morally. Chapter 3 is an encounter in the evening with a Jewish man who was a ruler. Chapter 4, an encounter at midday with a Samaritan woman who was a social outcast. Nicodemus came seeking Jesus. This lady did not. This lady did not, but she had an appointment with him that she knew nothing about. And there are some of you here today and you have an appointment with Jesus right here and right now that you knew nothing about when you were coming to church today because he wants to touch and he wants to transform your life. In chapter 3, we learn that there's no one good enough to not need the grace of God and his forgiveness. In chapter 4, we learn that there's no one bad enough to actually be beyond his wonderful hope. And what unites these two very different people is their need of a saviour. It's their need of a saviour. And their contrast shows that Jesus Christ is the friend of all sinners. Friend of all sinners, whether it be a respected religionist or a disenfranchised woman, the cross spans the divide. It spans the divide. It's for all people. And in this story, we need to catch this one in the heart of it because it's important for us as a church. In this story, Jesus, the friend of all sinners, crossed established boundaries of race and gender. He actually didn't even address them. He didn't even address them. Man had made race, gender, ethnicity, culture, and social status a barrier to people. But Jesus walked right over the top of it and showed that the gospel is for all people. He showed complete indifference towards religious tradition. We need to get this. The Jews would not even eat from or, or use the same utensils as the Samaritans, which is why the lady in verse 11 says, but, but you've nothing to draw water with. Jesus cared nothing for man-made religious traditions. And I, I love the irony of how Jesus sent his disciples into Samaria to buy Samaritan food out of Samaritan hands. In this story, he shatters the walls of exclusion. He shatters the walls of exclusion to reveal that his grace, his forgiveness is for all people, for everyone. Verse 42 of chapter 4 says he's the saviour of the whole world. The saviour of the whole world. He has come to bring salvation to every tongue, tribe, and nation. His salvation is open to the whosoever will believe Yes, even those who society and sadly church often ostracize and condemn. Jesus wants to save the sexually immoral. He wants to save the drug addict, the homosexual, the Islamic terrorist, the immigrant, and so on. The list goes on and on and on because everyone is in need of his wonderful grace. He's not only the friend of sinners, he's the friend of all sinners and his gospels for all people. Folks, that passion, that passion has to be at the heart of this church and our mission as we live it out from day to day that we're known as a church who is friends with all sinners. That we're known as a church 
who is friends with all sinners. And if you're here today and you're listening maybe online and you're not a Christian because you have felt excluded from the kingdom or becoming a Christian because of your past or maybe your present or because of what a religious person has said to or done to you, please listen on because we find out so much in this story about Jesus and his grace that is completely transformational. Grace that he wants to pour into your life today like a flood. Turn your life around. He's the friend of all sinners. He's your friend. And he's mine. And he's mine. Second point today is this. Jesus is full of grace, not condemnation. He is full of grace, not condemnation. The word grace essentially means the free favor of God, that forgiveness and love of God that we do not deserve. It comes freely to people who don't deserve it. I'm one of those people. Only sinners appreciate grace. I appreciate it a lot. It's a wonderful, liberating truth. In John 3, verse 17, Jesus says, God, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And what a beautiful example this story is of Jesus living out that mission statement of not bringing condemnation. Here's a woman. She knew her condition. She knew her condition. She was lost. She was clearly with having five failed marriages, someone who knew difficulties in her life and also what it was to feel rejected. This lady was probably the talk of her town. She maybe had even got to that point of believing she deserved to be hated, despised and, and rejected. Essentially, the best word to describe what this lady was feeling is shame or a horrible Horrible thing to feel shame. She didn't know where to turn to. It's clear. She didn't know where to find hope or satisfaction. Hence her history looking for love that men could not actually provide for her until she met the one with a capital O. Until she met the one who would hang on that cross. Hang on that cross to take all of her shame. All of the shame of this world so that she could have hope. This encounter was a game changer for this woman. Not once did Jesus condemn her. Now, not once did he condone her sin either, but he never condemned her. And it's clear in this conversation, she didn't really fully get where it was all going. She thought, here's a thirsty man who needs my help to get a drink, but she didn't realize Jesus was going to completely turn that on its head and show that she was the thirsty one and he was the source of her living water. He was bringing transformation into this lady's life. Do you know, and even her ignorance of who Jesus was, it wasn't a barrier to him. He became her spiritual well. Here's how we know Jesus didn't condemn her past. He knew this lady's identity, but he didn't use it to destroy her. He knew the lady's identity, but he did not use it to destroy her. But brought her to the place where she sought his hope. He said, go call your husband. 
Now, I do not believe Jesus prompted chat about her husband and her partner to criticize or put her down. I like to believe Jesus spoke to this lady in a way that showed he understood why she sinned. He spoke to her in a way that showed he understood why she sinned because he knows there's a bias in each of our lives that just leans us towards sin very, very naturally. And he understood that at the heart of this lady's sin was just someone who was desperately looking for love and acceptance. She was just looking for it in all the wrong places. However, if there was going to be a transformation for her, she needed to come face to face with her sin, the reality of it. But Jesus didn't wring out all of her sordid details. She knew her shame. I wonder how she said to him, I have no husband. I would love to have heard that. Was it with rising inflection? Was it with lowering inflection? Did she reply defiantly? I don't think so. I read it, I reckon she just about responded because she was living in shame. I have no husband. What did Jesus do? Did he drag out of her all of the sordid details? Did he publicly humiliate her when the disciples came back? No, because here's how I actually love to read his response of no condemnation. He actually told the story for her. He didn't make her stumble and struggle through it all on her own because he wanted to help her. And Jesus is kind and he's gentle and he's loving. He loved and he accepted this lady. And she knew that because she saw something in this man she had never, ever seen before. Jesus Christ is full, full of grace and compassion. You know what's amazing? This is the first time in the gospels where Jesus actually revealed to someone from his own lips that he was the Messiah. He didn't choose to pack out a synagogue and reveal this great truth or broadcast it everywhere. No, he shared it with a nameless woman who for most of the conversation didn't understand what he was talking about. Why? Because he loved and valued her. He loves and values you so much. I know how we need to learn from Jesus, folks. It is so sad that the church is more known for condemnation than grace. Especially when it comes to dealing with people like this lady, perhaps. It's so sad that when people think of Christians, the first things that come into their minds are words like judgmental people. Please, how could we ever judge anyone? We should be far too aware of our own junk to point the finger at anyone. We need to learn from Jesus. May we be known as a church who is a friend of all sinners and a church that is full of grace and not condemnation. 
There are so many people in this society who are like this lady at the well. They feel their shame all around us. They feel the shame of their failure. They don't need us to ring it out for them or to call them dirty, rotten sinners. Some already know it. Yes, they need to confront their sin and the reality of it and ask for forgiveness. But do you know what these people need? They need to encounter Jesus at the well through you and through me. They need to encounter Jesus at the well through you and through me and his non-judgmental message of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. He was full of grace, not condemnation. And the final point today is that Jesus' grace transforms lives. His grace transforms lives. Look at the transformation of this lady. It is fascinating. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed because of the word of the woman who testified. Whoa, she ran home and said, come see a man. Do you know what? If it was you or me and we were planning a strategy of how to impact Samaria for Jesus, we probably wouldn't send a woman with that reputation to shout, come see a man. Because we'd start thinking, People will start wondering, is this number seven? Jesus is different. You know why? Because his grace saw that the woman with the greatest mess had the greatest potential. His grace saw that the woman with the greatest mess had the greatest potential. You might be here today and you think God cannot forgive you. You might say, Pip, you don't know me. And that's right, I don't know everybody personally, but I know God. And I know that he loves you. I know that he forgives you. And why would he go through hell on a cross if there was something in your life that he could not forgive? That doesn't make sense. What makes sense is that he desperately wants to forgive you. He desperately wants to pour his love into your life. Not only can he deal with the mess of our lives, but he died because he saw the potential in every single one of us to carry his mission to the world. His mission of grace. Whoa. And why, did the, why, why do you think the people in that city listened to her when she came back? Because they had seen her helplessness. They had seen her hopelessness. <laughs> and they could see the dramatic change. A lady who went to the well at noon to avoid seeing people is now evangelizing her whole city. It's a remarkable change that grace brings about in our lives. So much so that the people she desperately wanted to reach first were those who had rejected her and abused her and despised her. What wonderful grace. Why did she do it? Because I reckon she caught something of the heart of this man, the heart of his message that we're being challenged about today. That grace is not only for all people. Like we mentioned earlier, as I listed them, but we can often look down on it, but he's also the savior of all the people who have hurt us, who have rejected us, who have abused us in our lives. He's the friend of all sinners. That's why she went to the people who had rejected her first. What a message. What a message. Jesus is not simply the Messiah of narrow Jewish expectations. He's the world's redeemer. He's the world's redeemer. It's amazing how the disciples did not fully understand how his grace could touch and impact such a person. But Jesus tells them, what did he say? He said, look up. The fields are white on the harvest. Look up. 
The fields are white on the harvest. We might not fully understand or appreciate how Jesus can love everyone. But let's look up as we go into this week with the heart of Christ, with the mind of Christ, and let's go into the worlds that we live in to see the harvest is white and let's live our lives in a way that people encounter Christ at the well through us. That they encounter Christ at the well through us because like Jesus, we're a church who are friends to all sinners. We're a church that has no condemnation. We're all about grace. Because I'll tell you, then we'll be a church that sees that grace of God transform lives. Amen? Come on, let's stand together, folks. Worship team are, are, are going to join me on the stage. <clears throat> Just before we go into our, our, our final section of, of worship together, isn't the grace of God so wonderful? <laughs> I want us to close our eyes. Because there might be someone here today and you're not a Christian. And in the light of who Jesus is, what you've been hearing today and the hope he can bring, maybe you're thinking, do you know what? I, I want that love in my life. I want that grace in my life. I want that in my life more than my next breath. Because you're here today and you're tired. You're tired of drinking from the same old well. Tired from drinking the same old well to, to get satisfaction and fulfillment in your life. The well of money, the well of sex, the well of power or whatever it might be. But you're tired. Because the more you drink and the more your life goes the way it's going, you're just getting thirstier. In fact, you're here today and you're absolutely parched. We know someone who loves you, someone who values you. Maybe today is your appointment with Jesus at the well that you knew nothing about. You can know his transformation, but we need, all of us need to come face to face with the reality of our sin, that we're not perfect, that we've all messed up. And I know that in my life well. But this is grace unspeakable. This is grace unfathomable. This is grace beyond our wildest dreams that comes into our lives and turns them around. God loves you. He values you. And this story shows us that there's no low place we can ever get to in our lives where we're beyond his hope. I'm just going to ask quickly before we go into a time of celebration, worship of our great God, his grace and the mission that we have. I'm going to ask, is there anyone here and you'd like to become a Christian today because you want to know this hope? And if you would, I'm just going to ask you just quietly and gently and bravely from where you're standing, just lift your hand and let me see it. If you need to recommit your life to God, if you need to give it to him for the first time and open it up, open up your heart to him, just lift your hand up and let me see it. Why would we ask you to do that? Well, it just makes it easy after the service for me or one of us to just come and encourage you and pray for you. It's not just about putting up a hand. That's the start of a life. Just ask one more time. If you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ today, just lift your hand quickly and let me see it. 
Father, it's just so good to be here today, to be in your presence. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your beautiful son. Thank you for the life that he lived, for the example that he set. Lord, may we be inspired by him again today to go out into the worlds that each of us come from, whether it be in the thick or the thin of life that we find ourselves this week. May we desire to be more like him. Fill each of us now, Lord, with the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Fill us, let your grace flood our lives afresh, freeing us from the past and the present to go into the future and live for you because we pray it in Jesus' precious and lovely name. And all God's people said, Amen.